0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Uh, I'm delighted to be with you today. Uh, I love your pastor and his wife. They're some of the greatest people on the planet. I have said more than once when I grow up, I want to be like Keith Moore. Uh, I want to be that calm, level-headed guy uh, that just can ride through life with just, nothing seems to stress him out. I, I'm trying to get with his doctor to find out what medicine he's on, but, uh, but I, I'm really delighted to be here. I preached uh, the fourth anniversary of this church, and it took this long to get over it, so I'm, uh, but I'm, I, I'm glad to uh, be with you. Uh, my wife will be here. My daughters will be here later in the second service. But I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that God can do more than you can imagine? Do you, do you believe that God can do something beyond what you could ever think? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've gone, wow, that's God? Because I couldn't orchestrate that, manipulate that, convince people to do that, I mean, God had to do that. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 20 because I believe that what God wants for the 21st century church is what he wanted for the 1st century church, to be unexplainable to the world except for the power of God. That they cannot explain us by our buildings, by our programs, by our budgets, by our personalities, but only can explain us by the great, power of God that is working and moving in our lives and in our churches. Paul is writing and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm at a stage in my life where most of my peers are thinking about quitting or retiring. I'm thinking about Caleb. I want to be, when I'm 85 years old, still asking God for mountains to climb and for mountains to take. You know, Caleb didn't ask for the easy road, he asked for the toughest place to conquer. Why? Because he had a big God, he had seen God do big things. And when you and I think about the stories in the Bible of the greatness of the acts of God, you've got to look at a verse like this because this verse has become, for me, a driving force over the last few years that God can and will do exceedingly, abundantly beyond. Now, here's what I want us to do today as we kind of walk through this. I want us to get this verse off of the plaque and off of the coffee cup and put it in our hearts. It's one thing to see a verse. It's one thing to know a verse. It's one thing to memorize it, but it's another thing to live it. Now, Paul prays two prayers in the book of Ephesians. This is at the end of his second prayer. This is his doxology about what God can do when his people are all over the things of God. He says, you can do more than you can imagine. Now, at Disney, they have people called Imagineers. Their job is to think up stuff, to create greater things, to spend your money so that after you take your kids, you spend your retirement to take your grandkids. And then your kids spend your inheritance to go back to Disney to celebrate the fact that you're with Jesus in heaven. I mean, that's They have imagineers always thinking up things, you know, for you to go out and spend, and you could say, well, I've seen the magic kingdom. Oh, not since we renovated it. Well, I've seen that. I've been there and done that. Bought the ticket. No, but they're always thinking better ways to entertain. Paul says God wants you to imagine better ways of ministry better ways of church, the, to think that he is willing for us to ask for these more than things. God is not limited by time or space. He's not limited by our experiences. He's not limited by our, our doctrinal preferences or our denominational preferences. Uh, he's God and he's large and in charge and we're not voting on him. And so that God revealed to Paul Tell my people to believe this way, to walk into this dimension of faith. Now, this is a church letter. Ephesus is to Christians. It's it's a plural letter. And he doesn't say this applies unless you're having a hard time. Or this applies unless you are weak in your faith. It's a promise from God that he is able. Now, who's making the promise? He's able because he's creator. Well, seems he's working on his reign creation every Sunday for the last several weeks. But he's creator, but he's also the establisher of the church, the body of Christ. And God did this work in the church and created a mystery that the world can yet to figure out. How God could bring Jews and Gentiles together in one place, for one purpose, from all kinds of backgrounds, and put them together in such a way that there would be power in their presence that could not be explained. And so he tells us that we are rich in Christ. Ephesians is all about the riches that we have in Christ, and and he prays bold prayers. So I want to ask you a question. What are your expectations? I mean, when, when you come to church, when you pray, when you read your Bible, what are your expectations? Because one of the things I've learned about the Lord is God usually meets me at the point of my expectations. If I think he's not going to do much, he's probably not. Uh, somebody asked a guy one time, so, Well, do you ever expect anybody to be saved in your church? He said, well, no, not really. He said, well, that's why nobody ever gets saved in your church. Do you come expecting for people to be saved? Do you come expecting for God to work? Do you come expecting to hear from God? And so I've begun asking myself questions. When I pray, what am I expecting to happen? I'm expecting a dialogue and a conversation with my heavenly Father, and it's a bold conversation because I'm supposed to boldly approach the throne of grace. What about when you read your Bible? When you open your Bible and you read it, do you realize it is the only book you will ever read where the author is inside of you? The Holy Spirit, living inside of you, authored that book. And that's why sometimes you'll be reading along and you say, Well, no, I, I, I never noticed that. And the Holy Spirit, the author, is in the room with you and he's whispering in your ear. Now, let me tell you what I meant when. I put that down, and so God speaks to us when we pray. He speaks to us when we read our Bibles. He tells us who we are to be and, and what we are to do. And, and so, what what when we come to church, what do we expect? You know, I I love to meet people who are happy to be in church, but er, er, every church has these people. I ain't preaching. I ain't doing. I didn't much care for last Sunday. Probably not going to care for this Sunday. Preacher, I just want you to know, as long as I'm in this church, there will never be a unanimous vote. God bless you. Good to see you. And they walk off. You know, they have the spiritual gift of discouragement. So, but what do you expect when you come to church? Do you expect that God is going to show up and, and that God has called us together corporately to continually believe Him at a higher level? Here's what I know about the word. Every promise should lead to expectations and every command is backed by His power. If God tells me to do something, He has given me the power to do it. I'm not trying to figure it out. The power is available to me through the Holy Spirit and every promise that he gives me should lead to an expectation. So what I want God to do, well, let me just read this to you. You can just mark it down somewhere. John 14, I've been camped in John 14 for a few weeks. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, when crisis arise and when situations come that that knock the props out from under you, the typical response that you will hear from the average believer is, I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do. Yes, there is. You can pray something. No matter what it is, no matter what's happening, you can pray something. We had three major storms uh, last year in Albany. We had uh, two Cat 3 tornadoes come through. It knocked down 50,000 trees in our region. Uh, We had loss of life, thousands of homes with trees on top of them. And, you know, in a town that's the fourth poorest city in America... That's the last thing you need. What do you do? You pray and ask God, and then you go to work. And God meets you at the level of expectations. In a year when it should have been, we went into the tank, we put it in neutral, and we said, we're just going to have to ride out this year and hope we can somehow pay our bills. It was our best year financially in the last five years. I cannot explain that. It, we had more baptisms than we would had in the last three years. I cannot explain that. Except that in an environment where we believe the promises of God, that nothing that happens deters his plan for his church in a community, then we pray because prayer is the secret weapon of the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus speaks in John 14, the last night before he goes to the cross, and when Paul speaks in Ephesians, you can put these things together, and the implications are staggering. Jesus is saying, the words that I say to you, I don't say on my own authority. I say what the Father says. I'm just doing what the Father does. So what was Jesus saying to the disciples? I'm about to leave, but I'm not going to leave you helpless, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I wasn't here for three years to say, hey, good luck. Hope it works. He said, no, I'm doing what the Father told me to do. Remember he prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, I'm doing what the father tells me to do. And when I go, the spirit's going to be in you. I'm going to be at the right hand of the father and you do what we tell you to do and watch us do exceedingly abundantly greater things, greater works, greater works in Jesus. I mean, look at all that Jesus did. What Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for is this. My physical presence is not going to be the key to the kingdom. And my absence physically is not going to be a problem for the church. In fact, I have to go away so a comforter can come and fill you so that the church can explode and do what it could never do if it's limited to me being in time and space. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, I'm not the source of my own sufficiency. My source is my relationship with the Father. Why do we need to pray big big prayers? Because we got a big dad. My source is my sufficiency with the Father. And when I go to heaven and ascend to heaven and intercede at the right hand and the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it's the explanation for my life and for yours. He's trying to teach them how to live when he's not there for them to hold on to anymore. You remember the disciples, Jesus said, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. Said, oh, don't, don't go, don't go. They want to kill you. Of course, in one of them, you know, he says, well, okay, let's all go. They'll kill us all. At least we'll be in the Jerusalem paper on on Sunday. You know, they'll be able to talk about us. Jesus was trying to help his disciples to understand, look, there are greater works for you to do. That Now, is is he talking about miracles? I mean, is it? You know, is this reach out and touch your television? Is this by this handkerchief? It's been anointed by this preacher. And if you give him $20 a month, you'll get whatever you're asking for. That has nothing to do with the Bible or what Jesus is saying. The greater works of the church are all tied to Acts chapter 1. It's convergence. It's people being saved. I mean, everything that Jesus promised six times in John 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name, what Jesus promises is that they will equal his works and they will exceed his works. There were more people saved on the day of Pentecost than were saved in the entire three and a half year ministry of Jesus. Now, he fed 5,000, but there's never any record that in one day, at one time, after a 10-minute sermon, that 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. But that's exactly what happened. And you look at Acts, it's 3,000, it's 4,000, it's 5,000, it's, 5, it's 10,000. It, it just by the time we're about 30 years out from Pentecost, there are probably 100,000 people in the church at Jerusalem. Now, in our denomination... 11,000 churches didn't baptize anybody last year, not even a child in Bible school. Somehow or other, we've missed the promise and the power that we can do greater works, and the greater works are tied to evangelism. So here's Pentecost, 3,000 are saved. Now, you have to grab this. The greater works of verse 12 are accomplished by the praying of verse 13. how do I do greater works? Well, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. It's not what he said. The greater works are accomplished by the prayer of John 14, 13. The underlying principle is, Alan Redpath said this years ago, the underlying principle is never undertake more work than can be covered by believing prayer. Don't just go add things to the calendar. Just going to say, well, we all do this. Uh, you know, there's a church down the street, uh, brother Keith. There's a church down the street that's doing this, and and they got bells and whistles, and they got a they got a talking donkey, and and they got a they got an elephant you can ride between worship services, and they got all kinds of. I bet if we do that, we could we could reach more people to Christ. No. Don't undertake more work than you can cover by believing prayer. Because the work that God gives is birthed in prayer, sustained by prayer, and motivated by prayer. In a prayer environment, God will lead your church to do things that other churches will say, now that's crazy. He will lead you to pray prayers that other people will say. That's insane. God's not going to do that. We live in such a world of skepticism. If I have one more believer come up to me and say, God's not going to do that. I, I'm going to lock them in time out and I'm never going to let them out. I don't need any more negative people telling me what God's not going to do. I've read the Bible. He's done some pretty good stuff. I've read 2,000 years of church history. He's still doing it. And we need to believe God. Verse 20 is a pyramid of progression. He's able. He's able to do. He's able to do all we ask. He's able to do more than all we ask. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Now he kept saying that because we're Baptists. We're slow to figure it out. You see, what do you expect from God? Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Jesus talked about stretching us in faith and in prayer. You cannot go anywhere and not tie those two together. Faith and prayer are always tied together. If I'm going to take a leap of faith, I better do it in a prayer environment. I've got a picture my friend Ken Jenkins took. He was in a, he was in a, a canyon uh, out west, and there was a mountain lion on this side, and there was a, a deer over on this other side. And there was a gap of 35 feet. And I have a picture that hangs in my office. I call it the leap of faith. And I have a picture that hangs in my office. And that mountain lion is midair on a 35-foot jump. Now, if he doesn't make it, all he's got is a slick rock. And he's fallen and he's dead. And Ken's got pictures of him all the way across. All the way, and I've got the one in the middle. Somebody walked in his gallery one day and said, you photoshopped that. He said, explain the shadow on the rock down here. At some point, that mountain lion had to believe that the risk was worth the reward. He could have stayed on the other side and said, hmm, there's a deer over there. God's put food in front of me. That dumb deer doesn't know that I can jump this gap. I think I'll just stay here and starve. And you know, a lot of Christians stay on the wrong side of the gap. They never take the leap of faith because they've stayed in prayer long enough to believe that that's where God wants them to go. And that's what God wants them to do. And so here's, here's Paul writing this letter. Uh, by the way, I love Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is one of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah bought a piece of land and he bought it from a relative and it was a snooker deal. I mean, it was, you know, every one of us have those relatives. And uh, so he bought this piece of land that was in enemy territory. It was in captured territory, but Jeremiah bought the piece of land because he believed the promises of God. And God had promised that one day, the Jews would go back to their land. So Jeremiah bought a piece of land. He signed the deed. He paid the money. By the way, he's in prison. And then right after that, he prays. And he said, I prayed to the Lord saying, Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and earth. And by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. Which leads to Jeremiah 33, 3, which Ron Dunn called God's phone number. Call unto me, and I will answer you and will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. The church needs to stop asking God for little things. We need to start asking God for big things. You say, well, what if he doesn't come through? See, you're you're more worried if you ask that question about your reputation than God's reputation. God has never heard his church say so much. He goes, stop, I'm out. Of, I'm, I'm worn out. You just worn me out. I'm so tired. I mean, I just got so much that I can give on any given day. I mean, come back in about five years because there's a bunch of other churches asking for things and, and I just don't have time for dogwood right now. You're not going to hear that. Calling to me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. You've got a great history. God's done great things. Could I submit to you that the greatest days are ahead because the promises of God are still true? God is not backed up on His promises. There's no expiration date on His promises. If we're afraid to ask God for big things, we're insulting Him. Because He's a big God. If you being evil will give your children good things, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask? What are the big things you are asking for? For yourself, for your home, for your family, for your children, for your church, for the kingdom. What are the big things that you're asking for? Well, we've asked for some crazy things at Sherwood. I mean, just the, the the list is too long. But you know, when we started Sherwood Pictures, we started with twenty thousand dollars in one camera. and And uh, Flywheel has now been shown to a hundred million people. Twenty thousand dollar movie to a hundred million people in Spanish speaking countries. Over ten thousand people came to faith, and we never took an offering. We never had a pledge. We just said, if God wants us to do it, we'll do it. And in five days, we had $20,000. Same thing happened with Face and Giant, except it was $100,000. And now those movies have gone to 140 countries, have been translated in over 20 languages. We know from emails, and we don't put our email out where everybody can see it. We know from emails, probably 100,000 marriages have been saved through Fireproof. Probably fifty to 60,000 people have prayed to receive Christ and watching one of those movies. And that's what most people know Sherwood for. But let me tell you, there's a lot that goes on at Sherwood. It has nothing to do with movies. Your pastor called me one day. I mean, when, when Sherwood Pictures was hot. Do you remember calling me about this? You, you might, might not. He called me one day and he said, you know, Michael, he said, you weren't God's first choice. Okay, he said, "You know you weren't." I said, "All right." He said, "Do you have any idea what I'm talking about?" I said, mm, "Not really." He said, "You know, God started in Hollywood," and said, "Anybody here want to make some faith-based films?" And they all said, "No, we don't want to do that. We just want to do blood, guts, sex, violence. That's what we." Do. He said, "So he started moving east." He got to Dallas. Anybody in Dallas won't do it? No. No, we know. That's crazy. We'd be laughed at. By the way, we weren't laughed at. Got to New Orleans. Anybody won't make No, no. He said finally he got to Albany, Georgia, and he found somebody dumb enough to say yes. <laughs> and I'm glad God got to Albany, Georgia. And I'm glad I was dumb enough to say yes. We're praying one day, we want to do more in our inner city ministry. And I get a phone call, I'm driving down the road one day, and a guy says, you know, the uh, Coke plant in Albany, 60,000 square foot warehouse, multiple buildings, you know, sits right down on the edge of the poorest part of Albany, Georgia. So, you know, the Coke plant is for sale. Said, uh, what would you do if it was given to us? 60,000 square foot. And off the top of my head, I mean, you better have had a quiet time that morning because you're being asked a question by a guy that's about to go in a board meeting. I said, "Well, we would do food programs, we'd do oil changes, uh, change windshield wipers for senior adults. We we would uh, probably house Samaritan's purse. We do, and I just named. We'd put the Fellowship Christian Athletes office in there. And I started. I named about ten things. Three o'clock the next afternoon, I get a phone call. Uh, Coca-Cola Bottling Consolidated has given the Coke plant to you. We call it the Hope Center at the Coke plant. Everybody knows where the Coke plant, what we do is we try to offer hope there. My wife teaches a Bible study. to ladies in the inner city. She'd been doing that for over five years there. And we've seen people walk in there that don't even own a Bible that have come to faith in Christ and been baptized because we believe that God does exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ever hope or imagine. One more quick story. So we built a a sports park. For the community, not for our church, but we built it for the community and it was forty two acres and we we used part of the money from uh, facing the giants to do it built soccer eight soccer fields or twelve and four baseball fields and a pavilion, and it's got a lodge and a fishing pond and a bunch of other stuff out connected to our school and so while i 'm taking people on the tour we're doing hay rides, but we called them pray rides because that made it more spiritual so we're we're doing <laughs> We're doing pray rides around this 42 acres, and I'm just asking people just pray over the land because for generations to come, there are going to be children who are going to walk on this land to play soccer, but what they're going to find is a savior. Five minutes before I start, I'm, I'm laying out a vision for 42 acres. Five minutes before I start, a guy walks up to me and says, you know, Mr. So-and-so that owns the land right next door. He says, uh, he will sell us another 40 acres for $3,000 an acre. And I couldn't tell anybody. And I was casting a vision that was already too small because God had opened up a door in a man's heart who said, I care about kids in this community. 80% of the people that use Legacy Park are not members of Sherwood. Three Sunday nights ago, we had an award service, and twelve children walked down and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. All because God gave us eighty-two acres of land for a sports. Market. You see, God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ever ask or imagine. What are the possibilities? I'm at point two, but we're real close to finish. Okay, just for those of you that either think in bathroom or coffee, I'm real close to. Ron Dunn said, until you and I come and expect from God as we ought to expect from God, it's useless for us to pray, useless for us to organize, useless for us to preach, useless for us to plan and witness because expectation is nothing more than faith breathing. Your body of faith is not going to be able to live any longer than your expectation can put breath into it. Here's the deal. Our expectations ought to be set at the level of of God's ability. So I'm praying. I'm casting vision. I'm asking. I'm believing God. What am I believing God for? How much can I believe God for? Now to Him who is able. So i got to check myself at the door. Is God able? Yes. Then What I'm asking, is God able? Yes, He's able. To do beyond all that we ask or think. We're scared to ask. We're scared to ask. We're scared to believe God, to believe Him for above all that we can ask for a thing. Listen, if you knew what God could do, you'd ask Him for it. If you could conceive of what God wants to do. When, when I read the stories of revival, I say, Lord, do that again. Keith and I both came to Christ in the Jesus movement. At the, at the peak of the Jesus movement, 400,000 young people in America came to Christ. 400,000. I mean, off the street, cold turkey off drugs. God just did incredible, unbelievable things in those days. And I today am asking God for one more movement like that. But not for 400,000. I'm asking God for 40 million. Because our country is quadrupled over and over since the 1960s and 70s. I'm asking for a generation that if God doesn't reach down and touch them, they are going to be void of any knowledge of the things of God. And so I've got to ask God for big things. I've got to ask Him to get in places that we can't get into anymore. I've got to ask him to turn hearts of kids that haven't been raised in the church anymore that don't have a grandmother or a grandfather that's teaching them the things of God that don't have moms and dads that are taking them to church that have no concept. Why in the world would you waste your time coming to church on Sunday when you could sleep in? They, they don't know that Sunday is set aside for worship. It's totally off their radar. How are we asking God for those things? What? Well, well let me let me just ask you another question. Let's let's just be honest. Is whatever you're asking God for more difficult than raising the dead? I mean Jesus raised Lazarus, the father raised Jesus. Is what you're asking God for more difficult than raising the dead, then whatever the problem is, the problem is not really the problem. The problem is that you think it's the problem, but it's not the problem because it's not God's problem, but you've not let it be God's opportunity yet. It's not really a problem. Say, well, you just don't know what's going on in my marriage. You don't know what's going on in my family. And God is not up in heaven going, oh, no, I didn't either. He's not turning to the sun and saying, did did you know that? Did I miss that? Any angels here catch that one? What, What was going on? How did I miss that? All the things that are out before you, all the opportunities. Problems are just opportunities in disguise. All the opportunities that are out before you are so that God can show himself strong in your behalf. I'm talking about a power that the world cannot ignore. That's the kind of power God wants in his church. So we ought to pray big prayers. We ought to praise God in bigger ways. And we ought to prepare for greater work. So what's our position? Here it is, verse 21. Chapter 3 and verse 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20 says, God is able to do according to the power that works within me and God is able to do whatever brings glory to His name. You ever, you ever met one of these people? Now, and I don't know anything about dogwood at this point. So if if I'm like the old Scottishman, I'm a, you know I would not harm thee for the world. But I'm about to shoot where you're standing. Now, I'll give some money if you'll name the building after. There are churches like that. You know, I I grew up in a church that my parents bought a pew. And my parents, if somebody came, if a visitor came in and sat down on that pew, my mother would reach over and she'd say, see that little plaque right there? That's the cat family. pew. That's our plaque. Would you mind moving on? Well, the next row had... A plaque on it, and the next row had a plaque on it. And I finally said, Mother, your problem is you think you own the church because you bought a pew. It was $400. It took more than that to build this church. Quit claiming that this is yours. It's his. His church. Let them sit anywhere they want to. Just be glad they came. Treat them nice. Don't be like a collie, friendly to the family, bark at strangers. What Paul says, to him be the glory. It's not to the preacher be the glory. It's not to the buildings be the glory. It's not to the programs be the glory. It is to him be the glory. God is able when I make it about him and not about me. So I'm going to give you a little project here in these last few minutes. You, you got a piece of paper or you can just do it in your head. I have to write it on a piece of paper because I got more space between here and I used to in in Sherwood this is the way we pray. we pray him possibles the word impossible in lowercase with a capital h i m we change it him possible there are situations in your life that are Impossible. You do not see an answer. You don't see a way. You don't see a way out. There are situations that this church will face that will seem impossible. But if we get him in the middle of it, and if our desire is in however he works and whatever he does, he gets the glory, then God will step in and do something Unbelievable. So I want to ask you to stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And your staff's going to be here at the front. And you may need to just come to one of them and just say, I've got a hymn possible. You may need to tell them what it is. You may need to write it down. You don't have to put your name on it. You may need to write it down and just lay it at the front of this altar on this platform and just say, I'm giving that to the Lord. And I'm going to ask God to take this and do something that is impossible until Jesus gets on it and gets all in it. And then he does something. And when he does, I won't take credit for it. I'll give God the glory for what he does. So if you need to step out, if you need to pray, if you need to have someone pray with you, if you need to leave a a note on this platform to just say, here's my impossible, then you do it right now as they sing. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.